Are you guys ready for the word today? Praise God. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, from Exodus 23, 20 through 30. You know, as I've said before, when God wants to change your life, he could do it anyway, okay? But what he, the, the ways that he does it the most is usually through a book that you read, the messages you hear, or the people you meet. And you've got to understand that. When some of you are going, I need a change, something's got to change in my life. You need to look to those three things. Now, God could do anything. God could speak to you just on your own in your devotional time. Those are awesome times, too, and he does do that. But the Lord loves to work through people. The Lord loves to work through others, okay? And so those three things. And so as we prepare on Sundays, as I'm getting ready, my heart is that somebody's destiny will change. Somebody's life is going to dramatically shift in another direction with the message that you hear. I don't want to just preach sermons to you. Come on, somebody. Amen? Because sermons get filed away up in your brain, and they just make you kind of think you're smarter, all right? I want to speak prophetic apostolic words to you because those words carry something, and those words will keep you up at night. Those words will, that will, will, will cause you to be unhappy when you think you should be happy because those are the words where you know God is speaking, and he's not going to let you alone until you act on those words. Could I get a good amen? So I'm praying that that's what this is for you uh, in this series here today. So last week we started Exodus 23, 20, and 30, and uh, we're talking about a special topic here called the beasts of the promised land. And I've heard a lot of teaching about the giants that are in the promised land, but I've never really heard anybody address what the Bible talks about here in Exodus 23. And let's go ahead and read that, verse 20. It says this, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Somebody say amen to that. And no one shall suffer a miscarriage or be barren in your land. If you're believing for a baby, stand on that right there. He says, I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you have come and will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out all the Hivite, the Canaanite and the Hittite, from before you, and here it is. And I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for this time. We ask, Holy Ghost, that you would speak, that you would use this imperfect vessel, Lord God, to speak a prophetic word into the lives of people, to get them to see that you have a promised land for each and every person, and you have a promised land for us corporately. And Father, give us what we need to overcome the beasts that are in, in our promised land. In 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So as I said, I've heard a lot of teaching about the giants and the Hivites and the, and the, and the Canaanites and all the ites that are in the land, and those are good. But I believe the giants represent outward battles in the promised land, like resistance, like whatever it is. If you, if you step out to start a business, well, there's giants in that land, and there's outward things that are going to try and hinder you. It might be bad credit. Come on, somebody. Amen. It might be lack of finances. It might be ignorance. Okay, it might be a lot of things outwardly that seem like, man, I can't do it. But when you get involved with God, God can give you the tools to overcome those things. But that also says here, though, that God is going to bring you into your land little by little. Everybody say little by little. Whatever you're fighting, many times what you're fighting is going to get taken down little by little. Amen. It's like being in that championship bout. Everybody wants that knockout punch. But sometimes you're going to defeat your greatest opponents on a scorecard. Which means you're going to take some hits, you're going to give some hits. See, but most of us don't like that. We want instant victories. If God don't change my life in a month, I'm bouncing. This Christian thing didn't work. You know, if, if, if I go up to the altar and get prayer to get less broken off of my life, and I go back and I still fall, it didn't work. Nobody, listen, that battle is going to be fought little by little. And God is going to cause you to change, and he's going to cause you to take your promised land, but you got to quit looking for a get-rich-quick scheme. Come on, somebody. Get-rich-quick is not the answer. Get my healing quick many times is not the answer because God is doing something in you as he's getting the promise to you. Are you tracking with me right now? So many of us are just focused on the promise. God, give me, give me. You know, I want that. Give me that thing. Give me that thing. And God says, I'm going to give it to you, but there's a process that I got to put you through to get it so that when you get it, you can keep it. Or so that when you get it, here it is, you know what to do with it. Because if God gave you things now, some of y'all would blow it. That's why people win the lotto and in two years they're broke. I think it's nine out of ten now. I really do. I think it's nine out of ten people that will win $40 million. It might be a little bit longer than two years, but I know it's under five. They'll be broke. You want to know why? No process to get that money. They get the promise. Without the process, you can't handle it. That's why God hasn't sent you a man yet. That's why why God hasn't sent your wife yet. Because you want the wife without the process. You want the husband without the process. You want the promise with no process. But if you get the promise without a process, you're going to lose that promise. Hello, divorce court. And some of us have experienced that because maybe we weren't ready when the promise came. Amen? Because we viewed the process as a bad thing when really it's a good thing. And you crying because it's taken long. God's like, enjoy the process. Okay, let's keep going. You really need this teaching here today because God wants to help you understand that the promise is going to come. You're going to get it. But what he tells the Israelites here is little by little, you're going to possess it. Okay, everybody say little by little. Get that mindset. Okay, little by little, it's going to come. Now, can God do it overnight? Absolutely. He can, but that's up to him. What you should be ready for is the fight. 
is the process, is no matter what, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to keep living this thing. I'm going to keep fighting for this thing. I'm going to keep believing for this thing. Can I get a good strong amen on that? But he says the reason it's going to come little by little is because if it doesn't, the land becomes desolate and the beasts of your field become too numerous for you. So there's a reason why it's got to go little by little because there's beasts in the promised land. Now, the beast is, is, is representative of the work of the flesh. It's kind of like we, we've all heard the term, the, uh, the, the number of the beast, which is 666, you know, and what does that mean? It's, it's the number of man, the Bible also calls it. It's the number of man, it's, it's, it's the symbol of the flesh. And so when God says, you're going to possess the promise little by little so that the beasts of the field don't overcome you, what he's saying is, catch this now, you're going to possess the, 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 the promise little by little, but so that your flesh doesn't overcome you. Because see, what happens is the process has a way with dealing with your fallen nature. And in case you did not know, the fallen nature's got to go. Amen? I said in case... You did not know. Let me get a beat, somebody. The fallen nature's got to go. There's a rhyming thing in the room right now. Help me, somebody. Okay, so, so that's, what, that's what this is talking about. So possessing your promises is twofold. You're going to fight and defeat giants, but you're also going to have to defeat inward things. Inward things. So when my wife and I moved to Sacramento uh, in 2008, boom. We were ready to fight the giants. And the giants came to our house, and they lived there for about two years. And they stole from us, they took from us, they beat us, they almost destroyed us. But God has helped us defeat giants. We're still defeating giants here in South Sacramento. Not having a building is a giant, but that thing's going to fall. But what I've learned has been the most valuable thing in my process towards the promise it's been the two years prior to starting the church where God was having my wife and I deal with the beasts, the fallen nature, the fleshly nature, the pride, the way we see life, the idolatry that we would have about ourselves. It's got to be my way. I, I'm, I'm most important. And God put us through a process, and we're still in a process. And every battle is about defeating the giant, but also God changing me. So remember, as God is building the church, he's building you. As God is building your business, he's building you. As God is building your family, he's building you. And we've got to be understanding of that and not be ignorant that in the promised land, there are beasts. And there are beasts in your life. Can I get a good strong amen on that? And we've got to go after those things. Because if we do not go after those things, those beasts have the, have the potential to knock you off of your promised land and keep you from possessing it. And that's why God said, I could defeat all these giants right now, but if I do that, the beast will overtake the land. And some of you right now, your land is being overtaken by beasts. And God wants to kind of thin out that herd. Come on, somebody. He wants to work on those things before the beasts within consumes your marriage. Before the beast within consumes your kids, your family, your business, your money. And some of us have already been victims of that 
kind of thing. And so that's why we're taking some time and talking about this. So that's the premise of what we're talking about here. And so we began to see that uh, the beasts are characteristics of the flesh or the fallen nature, okay? And, and, and we know that there's a process, and that's why the New Testament tells us, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, says it like this, In this you greatly rejoice, now, for, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, battles, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is telling us this, don't worry if you're going through stuff. Don't worry if you're fighting battles to possess your promise. It's trying your faith. It's building you up. Don't worry that your marriage is going through stuff. You guys are growing. You guys are changing. You guys are learning. Don't worry that there's no money in the bank account. God's going to get you to abundance but it's going to be through a process. You're going to have to go through a trial. You're going to have to learn how to deal with those phone calls from the bill collectors. Come on, amen? You're going to know how to, you know, set things up. You have to know, you have to take a class maybe. You're going to have to know what it's like not to go out to lunch after church. You might have to go through that trial. But Peter's saying here, don't trip. Tell your neighbor, don't trip. It's doing something. It's trying your faith. You're changing, all right? He says, don't be grieved. Don't be depressed. See what God's doing. And then he says in James, look at James chapter 1, 2 through 4. It says this, consider it a sheer gift. This is the Message Bible now. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. It's a gift. It's a gift. See, that's where we need our minds renewed. It's a gift. It's a gift. What you're going through right now, it's a gift. I got one amen on that. But that's all right. We're keeping it 100 right here today because it's not a very happy thing to hear with an unrenewed mind. But through God's eyes, when he says rejoice, you need to rejoice. Because what he's telling you is this trial, this thing that you're going through, is going to produce something incredible, okay? And so he says uh, uh, in, in the Message Bible, when tests and challenges come to you at all sides, you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything. Here it is, prematurely. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Don't try to get out of it. I'm leaving this church. I can't believe they did that. Don't try to get out of it. Got no amens on that. Try this side over here. Yeah, you're going through it with your spouse. I'm done with this thing. I'm calling the divorce letter. Don't leave that thing prematurely. Got better amens over here. Y'all need to work on it over there. So you see what God's doing. It's the process. So no matter what you're going through, somebody came to church today because you're about to give up prematurely. And God's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Because I'm working something in you. And that thing is going to produce something great. He's saying, let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed. Don't quit being an usher because it's getting hard. Because you had to come to a meeting at 930 today. And it wasn't your day to usher. No, no, no. Don't quit prematurely. Stick with it. 
Well, I didn't know working in kids was going to be this like this. And don't quit prematurely because God is doing something through the process. Somebody got a new job. Two weeks in, you're already complaining. Don't quit prematurely. Let God work through that thing. Are you, are you tracking with me today? Because God's doing something in you, but you got to have a different mindset. So he tells us, consider it a gift, okay? And that's the mindset we've got to have as we face battles. With every battle, I'm not only taking ground in my promised land, but I'm also defeating beasts within me. And the first beast we saw, and we talked about last week, was the beast of fear, okay? Or otherwise known as the spirit of fear, just to give you a recap. See, this is the spirit of fear. The, the beast of fear was in the Israelites. And it literally kept a generation out of its promised land. The Bible tells us that, G, that God would not take them into their promise. So you know what he did? He waited for all of them to die, and he took their kids in. And you want to know what disqualified them from taking their promise? Fear. Fear. Fear is the first thing you've got to overcome when you serve God. Now, what causes fear? We looked at this. Number one, the lack of vision. People with no vision are scared of everything. Think about how some of us were raised. Everything was bad. It's, it's, it's malo. No, no, no. See, they're all fear of everything. And, and, and some of us come from families where there's just these odd fears. Amen? Please, I'm, I'm not picking on you, but you've got to understand, when there's no vision, you're going to have fear attack you. And people are afraid of stuff. And Miho wants to move away to go to college, but Mama's got fear. And she don't want him to go away because something bad can happen. But something good can happen. How about that, amen? And none of the moms amen to me on that one. That's all right. But how many know fear can bind you? Fear can keep you from exploring and, and, and finding things in life that are enjoyable to you. You can't live a life afraid of everything. But you know what causes that? No vision. No vision. You know why some people don't buy houses? They're afraid. What if I can't pay the mortgage? What if I don't qualify? Fear. You know why some people don't go to college? Fear. You know why some people that are awesome and gifted and have an ability and a covenant with God to make money, you know why they don't start businesses? Fear. Some of y'all are incredible at what you do. Whether it's cooking, come on somebody, whether you got a fashion thing on you, whether you just are incredible at landscape and stuff like that, but you don't do nothing with it. Why? Fear. What do we fear? Failure. Messing up. Falling short. Let me tell you something. That will keep you out of the promised land, just like it did with Israel. It kept them out. And what causes that? They had, no, they had no vision. Listen, you need to start meditating on the right things. Amen? Take. I know you like laying in that bed, so take a time laying in your bed. Close your eyes and think about the future. See yourself doing what you love. See yourself going to the bank and depositing checks. See yourself doing things, building, going to college, learning, getting on a plane, doing the ministry. You got to see it because if you don't get a vision, fear won't leave you. 
For some of you, the only thing that's binding you is because you got no vision. So when you have no vision, fear will come, and it'll choke you out. The next thing that causes fear we talked about is ignorance. Ignorance. Got to learn some things. Now, remember, don't be ignorant. Now, ignorant, when you say that, people get offended. I'm not calling you stupid. It's difference, okay? Ignorance is simply lacking knowledge. And in the areas that we lack knowledge, we'll have fear. It's like what I was saying about starting a new venture or, or doing a new thing or buying a house. The only thing keeping you from doing it is the lack of knowledge. Because once you get some knowledge, you find out there are first-time, I don't know why I'm touching on this, but there are first-time homeowner plans that will work with you. There are programs for kids to go to school, come on, that are from certain neighborhoods. See, they get you on the amens every time over here. But see, if you don't know that stuff, you just begin to be fearful. So knowledge will always help you cancel out fear. And this is why I take my job seriously for this time, the short time that I have you every Sunday. Because if I could give you some knowledge, maybe, just maybe, some fear will leave your life and you'll possess a promise. So I ain't trying to give, come up here and read you, you know, three points in a poem. Come on, somebody. I'm not up here just trying to tell you, be kind to animals, be a good person, put the shopping cart where it goes when you go grocery shopping. No, 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 you got to get some promises and some knowledge. And that's why we take time to share a scripture with you every week about your giving. Every week. You know, that's not to, I don't need to coax this house to give. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. Every week before the offering, I share a scripture so that you could get some knowledge and get some peace. So you could get some knowledge and see what's coming to you because of what you do. Are you tracking with me today? So lack of vision, ignorance, and the last and the most important thing that causes fear, and here it is, lack of the presence of God. Now, when we talk about fear, that's real easy to go, oh, yeah, that's cool. But what is fear? Anxiety, worry. I just brought more of you into this now. Some of you is about to go, oh, cool, I don't have fear. Oh, but you have anxiety. You have worry. That's fear. We are not called to live in those things. How do we cancel that out? Well, we go to the doctor and we get a prescription. You can. And please, 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 I'm not picking on anybody. Please, please hear me. I believe in medication. I believe in those things. You do that. But you know what you also do? You get in the presence of God. Because all medication will do will medicate the problem. God will change the problem. God will change it. You hear what I'm saying now? Because what I'm saying is real confrontive. You can't be in fear and faith at the same time. It, it can't happen. So if you say you know my God, fear has to leave you. Because this, and this is where, we're, this is where you get tested. This is the test. This is like what James says. The pressure exposes what's in you. You can tell me all day you love God, but when you're full of all this fear, you ain't in his presence enough. Because you know what happens when you get in the presence of the almighty God? Fear melts away. The fears you have will leave because you'll get a sense of how great God is, how loving God is. I can get on a plane and fly anywhere because I, and I don't have fear because God is with me. We were in India. We got up the third, I think it was the second or third morning we're there. The, the newspaper comes to our room as you get up in the morning, and we open it up, 
and the airport that we landed in two days ago, just outside of that, about a block over, had been bombed by the Muslims. Did I get afraid? No. Now, it tripped me out a little bit. I was like, whoa, went to the guy, check this out, see what's happening. But did we continue on our trip? Did we say, Pastor, you got to get us out of here. This is a, we weren't ready for this. I, this isn't a wise thing for us to be here. We really shouldn't be here right now. And I wish you would have told me it was. No. Why? Because we're with our God. We're with our God. And when stuff like that happens, you've got to know God is bigger than whatever you're going through. Amen. Now, please, I don't want to give you the false impression that I'm just Superman and I don't have fears. I'm just giving you an example of this working in my life. But I got fears just like you. And the way I deal with my fears is I get in God's presence. So anytime there's fear in your life, run to his presence. I'm afraid my husband's never going to change. Get in his presence. And you know what you'll find out? God is so big, he could change your husband. God is so big, he could change your wife. So before you come and tell somebody, I just, I'm so afraid this thing ain't going to make it, get in his presence. I just don't know if God's going to change my baby. He's, he's, he's doing all this stuff. I picked him up uh, from, the, from the courthouse again today. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Get in his presence. Pastor, I'm afraid I'm going to go back to my old ways. Get in his presence. His presence will deal with the beast of fear because they can't occupy the same space. So again, hear my heart. If you deal with anxiety or worry in those capacities, get in his presence. Start carving out time in your day. Oh, pastor, I just don't have time. I'm so busy. If you're too busy for the presence of God, you're too busy. If you're too busy for the presence of God, you're too busy which means there are things you're doing that don't even matter that you need to put God in there. Do everybody in your life a favor if you deal with anxiety, worry, and fear. Get in his presence. Because people with anxiety and worry will drive everybody else crazy. Please, I'm not picking on you, but God, you've got to catch this. If you catch it, you'll see how easy the fix is. Because we'll go spend money on things that they'll tell us will deal with our anxiety and our fear. When simply carving out time every day to be in the presence of God will cancel that out. Because fear and faith can't exist in the same space. And this is where we get to see what you believe. Because we can know it up here, but never flesh it out over here. And if you're not doing what you say you believe, you don't believe it. Let me say that again. If you're not doing what you say you believe, you don't believe it. Anybody could say they believe stuff. But the evidence of what I believe, like what it says in the book of James, is my works. I don't have to show you, I don't have to tell you what I believe. You could see what I believe through how I live my life. Are you tracking with me? So we need to grab that because fear will keep you from your destiny. And the presence of God is how you break that spirit of fear. And here it is, 2 Timothy 1.7. We said this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. It didn't come from God. It didn't come from God. It's a part of the fallen nature. 
the Adamic curse. It's actually a spirit. But here's the opposite side of, a, of that spirit. Because you always oppose a spirit with the opposite thing. So what does uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy tell us here with the spirit of fear? God has not given you a spirit of fear, but the opposite. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's the opposite of fear. You know what I want to highlight there? A sound mind. A sound mind. Fear and anxiety, hear me now, is a mental condition, and you can overcome it. You can overcome it. I know the dog, oh, this is just the way you are. No, you can overcome it. Through power, love, and a sound mind. But you're never going to overcome it unless you make changes. Are you tracking with me? And if you don't make those changes, you don't possess that promise. Are you getting something out of this? God gives comfort to calm your fears. So let's talk about the second beast in the next 10 minutes or so here. I'm going to give you what I can because somebody needs to hear this today because it's keeping you and it will keep your family for generations unless you understand. The second beast in the promised land that you're going to need to deal with is the beast of rebellion. Rebellion. It comes from the fallen fleshly nature in every single one of us. And you cannot possess the promised land with this running rapid in your life. And this is why God can't rush you to your promise. Because you're so rebellious when you get there, you won't be a good steward of that promise. Rebellious people, here it is, rebellious people do not have a, a, a leg to stand on when it comes to submitting to the Most High God. Rebellious people are going to do what they want, how they want, when they want. And they call that a good life. You know what that Bible calls that? Destruction. Destruction. E-entertainment might call it the good life. Come on. Hollywood might call it the good life. The Kardashians might call it the good life. I know you watch that. Loving hip-hop might call it the good life. Housewives, don't keep me going now. They might call that the good life, where we're seeing people do what they want to do, how they want to do it, when they want to do it. But you better believe when those cameras go off, you got a bunch of broke-down folks that are struggling through life, that are putting it on for the cameras, but they can't sleep at night. Because their relationships are trash. They can't sleep at night because their kids for the rest of their life will live in shame because of all the craziness mama did on TV. Doing what she wanted, when she wanted, and how she wanted. See, we've got to get our heads out of that. And we've got to head, get our heads in the word of God. So let me, let me read the Bible to you today, all right? We're going we're gonna to do some Bible reading, and I pray this isn't the most Bible reading you get all week, amen? But if it is, you could thank me later. Joshua chapter 5, uh, verse 2 through 9, it says this, And at the time the Lord says to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself. Circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself, and he circumcised the sons of Israel 
at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way. And after they came out of Egypt, for all the people who came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Now let's hold on there for a minute. All right? Because this this is going to get kind of nasty right here for a minute. But track with me now. So the children of Israel, all the previous generation died because fear wouldn't let them in the promised land. So as they die, their sons and daughters come of age. And God comes to Joshua and he says, Moses, your servant is dead. I'm taking you and this younger generation over. Joshua says, cool, let's do it. He makes the announcement to the people. The people say, cool, let's do it. We're going into our promised land. And then God comes to Joshua and he says, hold up, wait a minute. What does he do? He says, Joshua, go get you some knives. That should make you a little nervous right there, amen? If you're one of those Israelites there. Joshua, go get some knives. Before you possess this promise, we got to fix some stuff. And what God is, is referring to is the act of circumcision. Now, the act of circumcision under the Old Testament and under uh, the Israelite covenant, God instructed Moses that anytime you had a male son, he is to be circumcised at the foreskin of his male organ. Okay? Somebody say, ouch. But it's supposed to be done when they're children, when they're a baby, and it's less painful, I guess. Amen? I think we do it while they're babies so that they can't punch us in the face for doing it. Amen? And so uh, that was the instruction. And what that represented, what that mark of circumcision represented was a covenant with God. It was God taking lordship over you. He was marking you and saying, you're mine. And what you were saying through having your children, your male children circumcised, is that God was first in their life. Okay? Are you tracking with me? So circumcision was a reminder to the people that they were in covenant with the Lord and that they were to live in obedience to him and not to please themselves. That's what that represented. That's what it was. It wasn't just God being mean and da-da-da. He specifically chose the male organ to make a statement that your lives and the lives of your family are to put me first, even above pleasuring yourself. Can I get an amen on that? That is a strong statement. But what it speaks about, and that word circumcision literally means to cut around. What it literally speaks of right there is putting God before everything. Amen? And I do mean everything. Now, Colossians in the New Testament, see, we don't practice circumcision as a religious ritual now, because we know Colossians tells us this, if in him you're also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off. Here it is, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised in him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the New Testament says we are circumcised through the work of Christ. Can I get a good strong amen from the men 
in the house today. So when you get saved, thank the Lord that you ain't got to come to the altar. And then we say, okay, now follow Pastor Cheeto back to the back room. How many of you can thank God, right? We'll get up and shout for God that he did that for us. We don't have to do that. Because in the New Testament, under this better covenant, we're circumcised with Christ. And when you link to Christ, God, Christ cuts away. Here it is, the fleshly desires that rule our life. When you're in Christ, we're not ruled by our fleshly desires. But you got to get in Christ. But track with me now. I'm almost done. Track with me. So here's Joshua about to go into the promised land. He's stoked. He's ready to go. All the warriors are ready. And Joshua, God says, hold up. Take all the men right now. Go get you some knives. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to renew that covenant. And what these uncircumcised, what this uncircumcised generation has to do before they can take their promise is they've got to bring themselves, here it is, under submission to my lordship. See, we got a lot of people that come to Christ only for the blessings. We got a lot of people that come to Christ for some fire insurance. They don't want to go to hell and burn someday. So what do we do? Jesus Christ, come into my life. Amen. Praise God, I'm not going to burn for eternity. And they come to church and they don't change. They come to church and they don't take the word and they don't transform. And here's the other thing. They don't possess the promise of destiny in their lives today. And there was an old generation. That's how they got down. That's how they lived. They went to church. Nothing changed in their lives. And they sang songs like, I'll fly away, Lord Jesus. I'll fly away. You know, and their, their whole hope and, 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 you know, the hope that they had was one day life was going to get better because they were going to go to heaven. But that's not Bible. John 10, 10, Jesus came to give you the abundant life, a better life than you could ever dream of, it says in the Message Bible. He came so that your cup would overflow, so that you would be blessed to be a blessing. But here it is. You'll never get there unless you deal with the beast of rebellion. And every single one of us has to tame that beast. Because what is the beast of rebellion? It's literally the fallen nature manifest. Because before Christ and even in Christ, many of us, we don't like anybody telling us anything. And that's all right if you don't amen me, because you know it's true. You don't like your wife telling you nothing. You don't like your husband telling you nothing. You don't like your boss telling you nothing. You don't like your friends telling you nothing. Because the minute one of them does, you bounce. The minute one of them does, you cry. The minute one of them does, you shout. You get angry. You know what that is? That is literally a demonic manifestation of the spirit of rebellion. You cannot possess your promise with that beast running around. You got to slay that thing. You got to get that thing under submission. Okay? And so what happens? God knows this. Comes to Joshua and he says, okay, it's time. We got to get back under the lordship of God. See, what slays the beast of rebellion is when you make Jesus Lord of your life. Say Lord. See, many of us like him as Savior. It's like, remember Ricky Bobby theology. Have you ever seen that movie? Ricky Bobby liked to pray to baby Jesus. 
sweet four-pound, five-pound baby Jesus laying in a diaper. I like that Jesus, he said. And a lot of us are the same way. We like that Jesus, the precious lamb that was slain. Some of you love that crucifix Jesus, that Jesus that's on the cross, bleeding and dying for all humanity. Listen, I love that Jesus too. But did you know there's another picture of Jesus in the New Testament where he's riding on a horse? Did you know there's another picture of Jesus in the New Testament where he's not only riding on the horse, but he's leading armies? Did you know there's a picture of Jesus where he is seated at the right hand of the Father as king of all? Did you know there's a picture of Jesus where he's seated judging the nations? See, we got to get to know that Jesus. Because when you get to know that Jesus, you understand he is Lord. You know what kind of Jesus we like? We like Jesus, my friend. We like, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I like the song. It's a great song. I am a friend of God. And it's a great revelation. You better get it, too. That's okay. The worship team, don't get nervous. We'll sing that more. That's a great song. Worship team's getting nervous. Ah, we. No, no, that's a great revelation. I love that song. It's one of my favorites. But you can only call him friend if you first call him Lord. See, some of us want to call him Lord, I mean friend, without knowing him as Lord. But then you get too chummy with him. Amen? Then you're just, you know, kicking it with Jesus. No, you're supposed to serve Jesus. And when you serve Jesus, then you kick it with him. You walk with him. Then you kick it with him. But we got people that just want to kick it with Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Remember them shirts? That's cool. That, that's, that's, that's fine. But you better get some things in order here. Are you wearing a shirt? Oh, my gosh. That's a good shirt. That's a good shirt. It's a good shirt. I'm so sorry. It's a good shirt. I'm not saying that. It's a good. But you heard me, though. She got it. She says, I serve him. She says, I serve him. That's good. I know she does, too. So listen, listen, none of those things are bad. I don't want you to leave here thinking that's bad. Don't get rid of that shirt. Rock that shirt. But hear this. Everything's got to be in order. We got to be a generation that loves order. And that's hard if you're rebellious. It is. It's hard. Orders of God. God does things, the Bible says, decently and in order. That's how God moves. When you move in your life, decency and in order. Order is a godly thing. But you know who hates order? The rebellious. The rebellious don't like to follow instructions. Amen? Don't shout me down. You know it's true. There's something in each and every one of us, myself included. Let me get in this boat with y'all. I'm not, I'm not above any of this. None of us like to be told what to do. But you know what? we got to get that in check, especially with God. God has the right to touch everything in your life. And if you don't give him that right, he is not Lord. You're kidding yourself. You're playing yourself. If you think you're calling Christ Jesus Lord, but he can't touch your relationships, 
He can't touch your money. He can't touch what you believe and what you do and your career. He ain't Lord. Because as it's been said, he's Lord of all or not at all. He's Lord of all or not at all. He ain't sharing the throne with you. He's not saying, okay, you know, um, now that we're in relationship, I'm going to give you the throne on Mondays through Saturdays. You just get me that throne back to me on Sunday morning. Is that cool? Is that cool? Because we're friends. No, 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 no. God ain't saying, you know, oh, I'll give you that throne. I'll, get you, I'll give you the throne back to your heart Saturday night because I know you got that wedding coming up. I know, you, I know you're going to be at that quinceanera Saturday. So I'm going to let you get on the throne there. Can, I, can we keep it real in here? No. He's the Lord of all or not at all. Come on, young person. Is he on the throne when you're on your campus? Or do you take him off and get up there real quick so nobody sees? Is he on the throne when you're with that girl or sitting by that girl, texting? Are you Snapchatting? I feel a brick spirit in here, I know. Or does he come, or do you put yourself back up on that thing? See, this was the condition here that Israel was in. And God says to Joshua, you can't go over with rebellion. They got to come under my covenant. They got to come under And so Joshua does something that they'll probably never put in a single movie is he gets all the males, all the full-grown men together and he sharpens some knives. And all the men, here it is, all the men line up. Not some of the men. All the men. And he goes and he does something that Moses never would do. Now here's what you got to understand. If you're going to get in the promised land, you got to be under a certain type of leader. Although Moses was good, Moses couldn't take them into the promised land. Because he wouldn't grab knives. He wouldn't bring them under the lordship of Jesus. Moses feared the people. Moses was afraid of the crowd. He was afraid of the people. They would say things like, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? And Moses would be like, all right, I'll go talk to God. They're complaining again. You know what Moses should have said? He should have said, why don't you shut your mouth and go back to Egypt if you miss it so much? But he didn't. He didn't. You know what he did? Okay, let me go see if God, what God's going to do. And he would go to God, and he, God, this is what the people are saying. And so then God would have to give them quail, and they're eating meat. He had to barter like that. And so all my leaders in the house, what kind of leader are you? Because there are leaders that can't take people into a promise. They're out there. Some of you in here are probably like that. You know what kind of leader you need to be? A leader that will pick up a knife. A leader that will say, it's going to hurt a little bit. I'm going to have to hurt you to help you. Ooh, 
spirit of fear just came up in this house right now. Track with me now. I'm going to have to hurt you to help you. Moses wouldn't do that. So guess what happened to Moses' congregation? They died in the wilderness, never tasting them bowling ball grapes that were in the promised land. They died in the wilderness. You know what generations of churches are doing? Dying in the wilderness. Because not every, not every church could take you into your promise. Because you got some pastors that are Moses's. They don't want to hurt you. But you need a pastor sometimes, I'll tell you the truth. Oh, not even just pastors. You know what you need, dads? You need to be a dad that will tell your kids the truth. You need to be moms that will tell your son, you ain't, you ain't no son of mine's dressing like a gangster. No son of mine's going out looking like that. See, that's a parent. That's a Joshua parent. But you know what most of the time we have? Moses' parents. Miho, I don't like that you wear that. So what? I'm wearing it anyway. Okay, be back at nine. And that kid will never possess his promise. Never possess a promise until he meets a Joshua leader. The Joshua leader will always say, okay, come on, it's going to hurt, but I got to hurt you to help you. I got to hurt you to help you. Are you tracking with me today? All you athletes out there, you understand Michael Jordan had to have a Phil Jackson. All these great athletes had to have a leader, somebody that would help them get to their promised land. Had to. You know how much untapped talent is on a playground? You know what? There are probably some players out there in Jordan's era that were better than him, but they never had somebody that could hurt them to help them. We've got some people in this room, every time you've met somebody like that, you ran from them because all you were used to was Moses-type leadership. I want, I want you to turn in your mind today to understanding this. If I'm going to possess my promise, I can't do it alone. If I'm going to possess my promise, here it is, got to change. If you're going to have a good marriage, you got to change. You know what we all say? If I'm going to mar- have a good marriage, she got to change. If I'm going to have a good marriage, he got to be quit acting a fool. You can't possess a promised land like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So what you've got to learn how to do and what you've all got to learn how to be is Joshua leaders. See, it's real easy to hear me preaching this and go, oh, man, pastor, he's a Joshua leader. That's great. I'm glad I'm at this church. No, 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 no. You got kids. You got to lead them. You got to lead those kids. And when those kids come home, and they want to do things, and it's not, and they don't think it's fair that you say no, you still got to say no. And it hurts them because they can't go and do the things that all their friends are doing. And they'll come to you with tears in their eyes. I just, I can't do anything my friends do. I just feel so alone. Okay, here. 
go to the 21 Savage concert. But don't smoke no weed, mijo, okay? He don't need to. The contact high is just going to get him. It's just going to get him. It's just going to hit him. Boy, I ain't making no friends with the teenagers right now. But see, because they got to understand, it's about possessing a promise, not about being cool. And so moms and dads, there's going to be times when you got to bust out the knife and say, I got to hurt you to help you. Are you tracking with me today? Because you can't possess the promise with a rebelliousness in your heart. And so the lesson, and I'm going to close here. Somebody say, thank God. Amen. Help me on the keyboard so they could get excited real quick. Because you got because again, this is, this, is a, this is a tough, challenging word, y'all. But here's the thing. It ain't just tough for you. It's tough for me. Because guess what? I'm not immune. So when my wife and I, five years ago now, where, you know, we had transitioned from the ministry that we were under and the pastor we were under. And as we came out to Sacramento, we felt the Lord saying, I have a different covering for you now. And we began to pray and seek the face of God. We didn't get a pastor that was just going to pat us on our head and say, go ahead, praise God, we love you. Whatever you do is right. No, we got a Pastor Charles. I like to call him the Clint Eastwood of Christianity. Because he don't play. He didn't have recess in school because he don't play. He's not going to do it. He don't play. And when, when God was speaking that, we didn't go, oh, no, I, I can't take that. You know, we said we need that because I want to be a good pastor. Because you know why? I love every single one of you. I don't want to mess y'all up. I don't want to do something that's going to hurt you and hurt your families. So I know enough of the rebellious nature in me, of the fleshly nature in me, that I need somebody who's going to shoot straight with me. And if I'm taking this thing down the wrong path, they're going to say, hey, hold up, wait a minute. Amen? And so there have been times, <laughs> my wife will tell you, there have been times we've called him up and, 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 and we were already feeling like God was saying this. And I said, hey, pastor, you know, I want to know what you think. I want to know what you feel. What do you feel? And he says, hey, don't do that. Huge mistake. And I'm sitting on the phone going, okay, all right. And this is my opportunity. Do I submit to leadership? Do I allow somebody that has a knife to hurt me, to help me? Or do I just preach it to y'all? I don't want to be like that. So I got off that phone. And it was, we were in a tough, tough time in our lives. And I literally had tears in my eyes because I heard it crushed me. Because I thought this was God. I was looking for a way out. We were going through some things in every area. And I thought, man, let me, if we just do this, this will bring us relief. I got on the phone with him. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. Hang on to God. Keep the course. Stay the course. Every fiber in my being was going, no, you don't understand me. No. You don't know what we're going through. Thanks for trying to help, but we're going to go ahead and do it anyways. Do you know what I did? I said, Pastor, thank you so much. I hung up the phone. Tears down my eyes. I came to my wife. She said, I know what he said. 
I said, yes. He says, we shouldn't do that. And she said, well, what are we going to do? I said, I'm going to submit to you. She goes, that's great. You need to submit to it. And we submitted to it. You want to know why? Because you have to allow people to hurt you to help you. I'm not talking about abuse, spiritual abuse. It does go on. See, uh, the, the messed up mind always takes the imbalances. I'm talking about having people in your life that could speak truth to you and you not get mad at them. How about you don't get mad when your husband tells you the truth? How about you take that in? How about you don't get mad when your wife tells you the truth? How about you both learn how to tell the truth? That'll help. But ask yourself this. Who in your life can tell you you're wrong? Think about Make the list in your head. It's probably a short list. And be honest, too. Because there's some people on that list, you know when they tell you you're wrong, you don't ever listen to them. You say things like, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't understand. Instead of learning that when you honor those that are leading you or helping you, God takes it as you honoring him. Now, parents, you got to get this concept. Because you want to raise kids that are going to possess their promised land. So you got to learn to hurt them, to help them. And they got to learn. Sometimes doing the right thing hurts. Sometimes doing the right thing is unpopular. Sometimes, Johnny Cash, you got to walk alone. Isn't that a Johnny Cash song? Somebody help me. All right. None of y'all know. Walk the line? I think it was walk alone, too. I don't know why Mexicans do that. You know how we do. We mess everything up. Mess it up by one word, you know. But, but we have to learn that sometimes. We've got to learn. Amen? Let's stand on our feet. And I don't want anybody out here leaving, feeling under condemnation. But I want you to be challenged. We're going to talk about that beast a little more next week. But listen, I want you to be challenged to be a leader. To be a leader that loves people enough to tell them the truth. And here it is, the last part, in love. In love. In love. There have been leaders in my life that kept me from missing my promise. Thank God I learned at a young age that I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. I don't do anything without getting, anything major, I should say, without getting counsel. I don't make one life decision without getting some kind of counsel in my life. I'm not the guy that just goes, well, God said it, we're going to do it. I always bounce it off somebody that God's put in my life. And I always give them the right to tell me it's not God. Always. Because I want to possess my promise you got to understand, you can't get there alone. And I want to challenge all the leaders in the house, even leaders of departments, leaders of families, leaders on the job. You can't be so afraid of people that you serve people and don't serve God. Not every leader can take you in. Not every father can take you into your promised land. Not every mother can take you into the promised land. That's why, here's the thing. Moms and dads, if you don't do it, your son's going to have to go through things. Your daughter's going to have to go through things. And then God's got to bring them somebody from the outside to hopefully do what you shouldn't do. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have a promised land for us, for each person here. And it's a promised land filled with milk and honey and blessings and, and, and dreams coming true. But Lord, we can't get there full of fear. And we can't get there full of rebellion. So help us to recognize the voices in our lives that are going to be like Joshua's to us. Help us recognize that we want to be the type of leaders like Joshua's that aren't afraid to lead our homes, our departments, our ministries, our jobs, our businesses. That we have enough grace to speak the truth in love so that we can take others into the promised land. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, we just ask right now, if maybe you're here today and you're not serving God. You thought you was doing good and, you know, everything's going good, but deep down, you know in your heart you need Jesus. You know, as I said, in the New Testament, we don't have to get circumcised. You know what you do? We read it in Colossians. You come to Christ. And Christ begins to separate you from the fleshly nature. Maybe you're here today and you're not living for Jesus. You're not serving him. He's not mad at you. You don't need to be embarrassed. But he's giving you a call right now in your spirit. You're feeling it. He's saying, come to me. And he'll receive you. The Bible says if you confess him with your heart, believe him, I mean, confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart, he'll become the Lord of your life. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I need to get in on that prayer. I want you to just do one thing right now. I want you to slip up a hand right now. We want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And the rest of us, we have a challenge as we leave this place today. I want to challenge you to examine your heart this week. Say, God, not my will, but yours be done in my marriage, in my business, in my finances, and in my life. And deal with that spirit of fear because don't be afraid when God begins to challenge you to make changes in any area of those, of the, of the, those parts of your life. So Father, give this church courage to face down the beast of rebellion, the beast of fear, so that we might possess our promise. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, y'all get something this morning. Praise God.